So I was asking and I was praying and I said, Lord, you know, what, what do you want us to talk about and what do you want to, you know, how do you want to communicate uh, to your people in these next couple of weeks? And I, I've been kind of going back to something that's, that I've actually talked about before, but I'm going to kind of elaborate on it for the next couple of weeks. But I felt like that we talk about the Lord's promises a lot. We talk about the promises of God and there are many in the Bible but do we really receive those promises and do we really know how to go about, you know, getting those promises that God and the Bible talk about so, so much? I don't know about you, but we live in a world, we live even a culture of broken promises, right? Right? Have all of you had somebody who broke a promise to you? Right. We've all experienced it. I experienced it. I remember, um, and, and I'm just picking one. Uh, but just, it was the one that came to my memory. When I was uh, about like 15 years old, my stepdad at the time promised that when I got my license, he would help me buy my first car, and specifically, he would help me buy a Volkswagen Bug. All right? My stepdad said, I mean, he loved bugs. He's like, I, I'm going to help you get your... I, I, I had one when I was a teenager. I want you to have one, da-da-da-da-da. As the story goes, my, my mom and my stepdad ended up you know, divorcing, and of course he didn't, you know, that promise, he didn't keep that promise, but as a teenager, you take that stuff very personally, like, hey, you said, you know, and it was again, it was another person in my life that I had trusted, that I had believed that they were going to be there all the time for me, that they weren't going to let me down, and once again, I was let down by someone that I cared for, by someone that I was literally entrusting my life to. How many of you have felt that way? How many of you felt heartbroken? How many of you felt someone that you trusted? Hey, you weren't supposed to go anywhere. And many of you know the story, and I, I don't want to, you know, it to be a big downer because I'm way, way past it. But eventually my stepdad even uh, ended up taking his own life. And it broke my heart because he left, left us, left, you know, I loved him dearly. He, he was there, you know, through, uh, uh, you know, a really big portion of my childhood. But promises, promises can be broken. But, but what about God's promises? Does, does God break his promises? Does God not follow through? Do you want to know how many promises are in the Bible? Are you ready for that? How many think, how many think with a show of hands that there's more, uh, that there's like around a thousand promises in the Bible? How many would think around a thousand? How many think around two thousand promises in the Bible, around there, around 2,000, okay, how many think about like uh, 3,000 promises, okay, anybody think that there's definitely way more than like three, 4,000 promises in the Bible, you guys want to know how much, 5,467 promises in the Bible, 5,467 promises from God to us. These are the things that he says he promises for you. And let me tell you about God's promises. God's promises are irrevocable. He does not break a promise. Okay? He is absolutely trustworthy. Numbers 23, 19 talks about that. He is unchanging. Psalms 110 verse 4 talks about that. 
He has the power and will to fulfill his promises, as said in Isaiah chapter 55. He is faithful in keeping all of his promises, Joshua 21, 45. His promises stem from his goodness and his glory. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 talk about that. God's promises also must be received by all believers. See, it's, and this is really what we're going to get into about talking about God's promises. It's one thing for God to promise something. It's another, it's another thing for us to believe in that promise and then to receive it, right? It's like going to a birthday party. You know, it's one thing for you to bring the gift. It's another, person to, it's another thing for that person to say, thank you for that gift, open it and receive it. They could just leave it. They could just say, nah, take it back. I don't want that. But that's what it's like. It's one thing, you know, for God to have all these promises out there, but there's also action that must be taken by us, the believer or the recipient. They have to be received by faith. They are received by perseverance and obedience. Okay? God's promises unite believing Jews and Gentiles. So why, if God has promised us so many great things, do we still suffer? Why do we still have hardships and disappointments in our life? Well, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to follow the life of Joshua and the people of Israel. And we're going to talk about what it means to receive and to possess God's promises in our lives. How many of you want to receive all that God has? How many of you want to receive over 5,000 promises of God? Amen? Amen? Sound like Christmas is coming, right? So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9. I love the story of Joshua. The reason why I love the story of Joshua is because it is the closest thing to, like, Braveheart that, you know, you can get. You know, Braveheart is a made-up movie. It's a made-up story. Even the actual story, it's not even really true to life of, of William Wallace, who the movie's about, even though I love that story. He sounded like a great guy. I am part Scottish, even though I do talk about being Italian all the time. My mom, by the way, I'm sorry, side note. I'm going there. Becca, you just keep me, you know. My mom hates, I'm only half Italian, I'm admitting. I'm only half Italian. My mom hates the fact that I don't celebrate her side of the family enough. So I'm saying it, it's being recorded. Uh, I am part Scottish, all right? I am part kind of English, Scottish, Welsh, that whole thing. But we're very, very Scottish. And guess what, Chuck Ruth? We, guess what name we found in our family line? My mom did the whole thing online. The last name, McGregor. Yeah, yeah. I actually am, we are, we are actually McGregor's, my cousin and I. We actually have McGregor's. Uh, the reason why I say that is because I actually had a character that I used to do, and I had the full-on kilt and all that stuff, and I named him William McGregor, uh, partly after Ewan McGregor. I love Ewan McGregor, the actor, and then, of course, William Wallace, having no idea that we actually have McGregor in our family. So there, there it is. I'm Scottish. Anybody else got any Scots? In here? All right, we've got some Scots in here. It's great. All right. All right. You're going to get it this morning, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint my face blue, and we're going to get going. 
All right, Joshua. All right, now that you're all in a Scottish mood, let's pretend that Joshua is Scottish and his face is painted blue. And let's get into this. All right, Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, not son of nobody, but son of Nun, and you in. Moses' assistant, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Wow, what a great way to start off a conversation with God. But he's reminding Joshua, listen, there is nobody to lean on anymore except me. All right, you can't, you can't follow in anybody else's footsteps anymore. You can't walk in anybody else's shadow. This is now you and me, and we got this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Here we go, verse 3. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you, you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one, here's another promise, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you nor abandon you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. He says it again, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be uh, sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. He's not asking him. He's telling him, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Before this point, I want to just back up and just give you a little bit of quick history. Before this, the Israelites, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, they were slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They were slaves in Egypt, and they were oppressed people. In fact, they were so oppressed that they really came to this point where they felt like this was it. This was it. It's not going to get any better than this. We're slaves. We are slaves. We're not going to get out of this. But we all know the story. We've seen the movies. Who comes on the scene but Moses? Moses comes and God tells him, listen, I'm sending you to free my people. You are going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let my people go. So, of course, Moses, go, Moses goes there. There's the plagues, right? Finally, Pharaoh relents. Relents. He says, get out of here. Get out of here. So he lets them all go. They, they go and they, they, I mean, we're talking like hundreds of thousands of people here. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people leaving, you know, uh, Egypt. And they're heading out. 
We all know the story of, of the parting of the Red Sea. God gets them out of there. He protects them from Moses. He completely, uh, God single-handedly annihilates Egypt's army, sends Pharaoh back, you know, with his head, you know, down low. And, you know, who, who knows how kind of depression came upon him after that. But here, here are God's people. But then something happened. They were in the, the wilderness and God said to them, I have pro- there's a land I've promised you, flowing with milk and honey. Flowing. He promised them something. But then he, they, they send these scouts out to check out the land. By the way, the land was inhabited, okay? It wasn't just this open, you know, land like in the movie Far and Away, you know, where you can go and put a stake in the ground and claim it. It was inhabited, Right? It was inhabited by some giants, big people, you know, warrior types. But God said, that's your land. That is your land. I promised it to you. And as long as you obey everything that I tell you do, you do exactly what I tell you to do, you will inherit that land. That will be yours. But we all know, again, how the story goes. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, say, let's go do it. Let's go take it. I, you know, there's giants of the land, but we can take them out. The rest of everybody else freak out, and they say, no, we can't do it. And because of their disbelief, and I listen, listen, you guys, listen to this. Because of their disbelief, they wandered for 40 years. Because of their disbelief, they wandered for 40 years. Just make a note of that. Because that sometimes that's where we catch ourselves, is in that place of disbelief. Nah, not me. Nah, I can't do that. No, I don't have the strength. What does it require to possess the land? What does it require to possess God's promise? That's what we're going to talk about. Number one, first, there's God's commitment. God's commitment. God said this to Joshua, no one will stand against you. No one. I promise you, no one will stand against you. He didn't say no one's going to try to stop you, but they will not be able to stand. You get it? He didn't say you're not going to have opposition. He didn't say that there wasn't going to be hurdles in your way. There wasn't going to be these forces, but he said, but they will not stand. They will not stand. Second, he said, I will be with you. Why is that not enough in our lives anymore? When God says, I'll be with you. I will, be, I, I will go. If, if I'm the one who called you to do this, I will be with you. Why do we doubt him? The, the creator of the universe. There is nothing bigger than him. Are, are, you, are you, you capturing what I'm saying to you? If God says that I am with you, then you have the biggest, baddest dude on the block on your side. It's like, you know, going to a fight, you know, and there's, there's the one group on the one side and then there's the other group on the other side, but you bring the biggest, baddest dude. It's God. It doesn't get any bigger than him. You're going to win. But why do we doubt that? And then here's another one of God's commitments, his promise to you. He says to Joshua, I will not fail you, and I will not abandon you. I will not fail. 
if you do what I tell you to do, if you obey me, I will do exactly what I said I would do. I will not fail and I will not abandon you. Can I be very, very honest with you? I weakly struggle with that. I weakly think, you know what, God, is this going to be the week that we're going to fail? Is this going to be the Sunday that it's just all going to go to, you know, that it's just all going to fall apart? I, I struggle with my flesh all the time. Why do I do that? If God said, first of all, if God said to do it and I believe he said to do it, then what am I afraid of? If God has told you to do something and you are hesitant, you need to ask yourself why. Because if God told you to do it, he will not fail you and he will not abandon you. So what's our commitment? What is, what is our part in this? Our commitment is obedience to his word. Obedience. Obedience. I said this a couple weeks ago, but I, I want to say it again to all you parents out there who have kids. Maybe your kids are even a little older. You want to know why we teach our kids obedience? Because it's what God demands. And if you are not teaching your kids, your children, obedience in your home, then how they treat you is how they will treat God. My little hot. Ooh. So you knock it off. You knock it off. Oh, shucks. It's got a little warm in here. Oh, it's not blue anymore. It's red. Where was I? Obedience. <laughs> Obedience. All right. Also, our commitment, our, you know, what we need to do to obtain these promises. God says, study the word. Study the word. Listen, it, this right here, you guys, isn't just something for the pastor to be doing. Oh, you know what? The pastor's on that. He'll, he'll tell me what I need to do. That's not, what the, that's not what the word of God says. Yeah, the word of God says we need those teachers. We need those pastors. We need those prophets. We need those apostles. We need, you know, God, the Bible talks about those people as instructing, but, but this is for you. This is God's promises. And by the way, can, can any of you recite all 5,000 plus promises? No, I, I even can't. But the point is, is how do we even know about them if we're not in his word? Listen, I grew up in Sunday school, and I heard the mantra every week, you know, read your Bible and pray every day, read your Bible. You know, they made songs about those things. But there was a reason why they were saying that, because there are promises in this Bible for you that if you are unaware of them, then you will never receive them, right? It's like not being invited to the party, Right? You're like, I didn't even know. Well, here's the thing. Did you open the invitation? Did you see what time the party started? You know, well, no. I got lazy. Well, how are you going to know? How are you going to know unless you are in God's word? This right here. And by the way, I also want to answer the question when people say, I don't hear God. God is speaking loud and clear in black and white. All right. Not everybody has to hear an audible voice. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't know that I've actually ever heard God audibly. I don't know that I want to. Right. 
I would scare me to death. But here, we're forgetting you guys. It's not about coming to church and getting the warm fuzzies. It's not about coming to church. And you, you, you know, I know, I get it. You hear people say, oh, I heard, I heard the Lord say to me. I heard, you know, I even say things like that because I feel that it kind of impressed upon me. It's only because I've been in God's word though. It's only because what I hear, it, it immediately lines up with what I read. Ah, what I'm thinking in my heart and what I'm sensing in my spirit, it, it immediately aligns with what I've been reading and what I've heard in God's word. This is where I start. This is where I start. And this is where I encourage you to start. Be in his word every day, even when you don't feel like it. Even when you don't feel like it, just get it in. It's like eating. Just get it in. And then meditate. It's funny that God tells Joshua not just to obey the law, but then he says meditate on it. Meditate on it. That means let it sink in. And again, I kind of want to address the whole idea of like reading through the Bible in a year type of thing. That's fine. But I hope if you're going to read through the Bible through a year that you're also going to take time to meditate on his word. Because it's one thing to check off a, a, a box and say, I read through the Bible through a year. But yeah, did you get anything? Eh. Do you remember what was said? Mm. When you meditate on God's word, it means taking a portion of scripture and just chewing on it. Print it out. Stick it in your car. You know, stick it on the mirror as, as you're getting ready in the morning. Meditate on it. Lord, what does that mean for me? Don't just read it and say, I read it, and then move on. Because let me tell you something. There are so, there is so much. God's word is so rich that you can't take it all in one sitting. In fact, it will take you a lifetime. And even after that, there's still so much more. There's still so much more. Meditate on his word. Possession, you guys, requires action. Possession requires action. So first, uh, you know, kind of moving forward into Joshua. Joshua 3.15, there was the Jordan. I'm going to read it to you. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near the Zathran. So what does this mean? So let me tell you, what, when Joshua was to go cross over the Jordan and possess the land, God told Joshua to do this. He said, I want you to take my ark out first, because the ark represented God's presence. Anytime you saw the ark, they knew God is here. If the ark was here, that meant God was here. It was like a visual representation. If they saw the ark of the covenant, if they saw you know, the, the priests carrying that, then they knew that God was with them. So God says, let me go before you. Let me go in front of you. So literally, they take the ark, they cross over, and literally as the priests step into the Jordan River, okay, and it, by the way, it says it was overflowing. It says that, you know, it was the harvest time, so the water was high. Uh, once again, God showed his miracle. Once again, God showed himself, and he parts the Jordan so that they can cross. It takes action, you guys. It takes stepping into the situation. It takes a Peter-like faith of jumping out of the boat, even when it looks like you're going to drown, right? It takes, you know, an Indiana Jones-type leap of faith that, you know, I don't see what's underneath me, but I'm going to step out there anyways. 
Let me tell you something. That is everyday life if you're a Christian. That's everyday life. That's every morning I wake up, I feel that way. Because every morning I wake up, my flesh says, I want to quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this thing called life anymore. You know, that's what my flesh kind of keeps telling me. I just want to sleep all day long. But then my spirit rises up and says, God has so much for you. If you just step out into it, if you just believe, if you just take that leap of faith. Because I will go before you. I will go before you. There's also God's presence. God kept talking about his presence. And even in Joshua 5.15, he literally physically manifests to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army. And in 5.15, it says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is holy. Joshua did what he was told. The Bible says this to us as Christians. If just two or more are gathered in my name, it says. So, you know, not that we're just hanging out, having a party. But he says, if two or more are gathered in my name, I am in your midst. I'm with you. That means you can instantly be rest assured that if we're gathering in God's name, that he's here. You don't have to doubt that. You don't have to question that. And you can take that wherever you go. It's not just about church on Sunday morning. You can have church wherever you're at. And if there's two or more who are gathered in his name, God will be there. If that's in your car, you know, you and a buddy and you're driving to work and you guys are praying in the name of the Lord, God is with you. If that's at your school and you and your friends get in a corner and you start begin to pray and you invite the presence of God, he will be there. If you're at your work and you're feeling that oppression at work, but you and you grab somebody else who's a like believer and you guys get together and you pray and you ask for the Lord's presence, he promises to be there. Try it out. Put him to the test. God's presence, he promises to be there. And then, of course, there was the marching. And we're going to talk about this more in the weeks to come. But in Joshua 6.15, it says, On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. For the Lord has given you the town. Remember, nothing would be able to stand. Not even the city of Jericho. Not even the walls so thick that chariots could race on top of them. Listen, possession also requires courage. Possession also requires courage. Three times it says, be strong and courageous. Three times God tells Joshua, mighty Joshua. Even mighty Joshua, God had to tell him three times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Why? Why did he have to keep repeating himself? Was Joshua not hearing him? No. There was something about that reminder. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Well, first of all, I want to look at strength versus weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, this is Paul, one of Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. Paul says this about this idea of weakness. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Whatever it is that Paul was struggling with. Each time he said, God, meaning God said this to him, my grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. My power works best in weakness. Let's go back to Joshua for a second. Let me tell you something. The people of Israel 
The Jewish people on their own power, they could not have done what they did. They would have been slaughtered on their own physical power. That's not what it was about. It wasn't about this mighty army that the Hebrews were, that the Israelites, it wasn't about them being this mighty, strong, you know, everybody having these beautiful, shining, you know, glistening pieces of armor. That's not what it was about at all. They probably looked like a ragtag group. They probably looked like, you know, oh my gosh, who are these people walking around our, our giant city? Who do they think they are? It had to do with being in their own weakness, then God is made strong. Think about this. How many of you, and you don't, have, don't, don't raise your hand, please. I'm just raising my hand because I used to be a Sunday school teacher. But how many of you, you feel weak? You feel, I don't have it. God, I, I, I can't seem to be like that, you know, perfect Christian who, who posts on Instagram every day their, their Bible open and their coffee cup and, you know, and their, 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 their perfect succulents all around them. <laughs> Listen, if you're feeling weak, it's exactly where God wants us. Are you, do you, are you hear me? Because in your weakness, he is made strong. Because when you cry out in your weakness, that's when God comes. When we try to do things on our own strength and our own power, God kind of goes, okay, you got this? How many of you are parents, right? How many of you, your, your little ones, try to do something really, really big, and you know they can't, and you just kind of back them and go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, you want to try that? You want to try to lift that giant TV off the floor? Go for it. You know, you're two, right? That's what kind of God does. God, God says, back, all right, you're going to try? Well, you tell me when you're ready for my help. You tell me when you're ready to say, all right, I'm weak. I can't do it. But listen, that's us so often. So often we, we say this, I got this. I got this. Can I tell you, can we start saying, he's got this. He's got this. I don't got it. I don't got it at all. In fact, I'm going to back up and I'm going to say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't move this mountain. Only you can. In our weakness, he is made strong. So if you are feeling weak, then you are in the perfect place for God to perform a miracle in your life. How about courage versus fear? Courage versus fear. Courage is standing your ground despite your fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear, okay? Courage is not the absence of fear. Some people think when we see those Braveheart movies and things like that, they're running around, oh my gosh, they must be so brave, they must be so courageous, you know, to go out there and swing a sword and to put their lives on the line and all that stuff. That is not what courage is. In fact, if you talk to anybody who's been in the military, anybody who has been in any fighting situation, they, they will admit to you that, yeah, there were times of fear. But what courage is, is despite that feeling of fear that came over them, they cannot be moved. That, that something comes over them and says, despite the fear, despite that fight or flight mentality of wanting to book it and run, I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to stay here and I will not be moved. That's what courage is. So if you're feeling afraid, once again, you're in the perfect place. If you're feeling afraid, you are right where God wants you. Because remember, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is taking fear and saying, you know what? I choose not to move. I choose not to be moved from this position of fighting. 
of pressing in and of allowing the Lord to see through what the Lord says he's going to do in my life. So here it is. Here, here's the, my final application for you. What's your promise? What are, what are the things that God has been promising you? First of all, what does his word say, all of his promises? 5,400 and thank you, 67 of them. Find out. Find out what his promises are for you. I mean, we learned about some of them. Even as he spoke to Joshua, he's speaking to us because we're inheritance of all that. But listen, to possess that, to possess that promise, you, you have to take action. You have to believe. You have to obey. You hear me? You want to possess those promises, you have to take action. You have to believe. And you have to obey. Amen? Amen. Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes with me? So like I said, the first part is you taking action. And I want to ask this question. If you have never, ever asked Jesus to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins, if you have never, ever done that. See, the Bible says this, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. You see, the most important promise, the most important promise that God has given us is eternal life. 1 John 2.25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. You do not have to be separated from God, your creator. You do not. You can be a part of the kingdom of God, and you can receive all the promises that he's promised you. But here's where it starts. It starts with our belief. It starts with us giving up and trusting God and allowing him to come completely into our lives. The Bible says all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And all we have to do is repent of that sin. Repent just means to simply turn away from it. Go the other direction. That direction is God. Back to him. I'm going to ask you a question. If you have never, ever had a relationship with the living God and you want one this morning, will you just simply lift your hand as a sign of not only belief but surrender and say, I want that this morning. I want that this morning. That is me today. No longer do I want to feel alone. No longer do I want to feel like an outcast. No longer do I want to be broken. I want to be a part. I want to receive all these promises. If that is you today, just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. We thank you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Here's my second question. If you've just kind of felt distant, if maybe you're just been in that place of unbelief, and you know what? 
I just want to say today, I'm renewing that belief. Will you just simply raise your hand as just kind of a sign of, you know what? I'm going to believe in all the promises that God has for me. I'm going to believe all the promises that God has for me today. I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to receive his promises. I'm going to be in his word. I'm going to trust his word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Praise you. Lord, we love you.